Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first, and their covered wagons, they find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Future Tech Podcast. This is your host, Juliette Lamar, and I am here today with Neil Reiter. He is the director of at Identity Mind Global. How are you doing, Neil? I'm doing very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing excellent. I'm pretty excited to hear all about Identity Mind Global. You have a lot going on. Your website's quite exciting. <laughs> uh, we do a lot of different things. So the in a lot of different spaces, but uh, at a high level, we're helping companies with fraud prevention, with KYC, or know your customer. That's when if you work with a financial institution like a bank or a money service business and need to validate that you are who you say you are for regulatory purposes. And we also help with transaction monitoring, which is uh, just making sure that someone's transactions aren't suspicious and they're not laundering money. Um, And we help a whole bunch of different clients from traditional money service businesses uh, to cryptocurrency exchanges to recently we've been focusing a lot on ICOs or initial coin offerings. Wow. So your plate is definitely full. Um, I definitely have experience in the, uh, is it the know your customer? Yeah, KYC. A lot of people can be affected by this in their banking through through just fraud of, say, identity theft. Is that the same page as this? It is. Uh, so yeah, KYC is one of those things where if I steal your, you know, your identification, I can maybe open up an account in your name even though it's not you, um, which is really scary and it could implicate or you know it could impact your credit and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, and financial institutions really don't like it either. So 
they actively try to prevent it in a whole bunch of different ways, and we help them with that. So I guess how how do you let's dive into that? How do you stop somebody who has a fake ID? Is it just more questions? There's 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 so many different ways, but let me go through like a high level how it kind of works, which is you're looking when someone applies at a whole bunch of different factors. So even if they don't realize it. So if you go to uh, say you go to a bank's website. Uh, they'll look at your IP address and they'll see, you know, you're coming from a normal IP address or using a proxy or using VPN or using Tor. Uh, then they'll look at the device itself and see if it's been jailbroken. They'll look at the information you put in. So if I steal your ID, um, you know, they'll look at the IP address and see how far that is from the billing address on the ID. They'll also look to see if the ID has been tampered with or is it a forgery. Um, and we help clients do kind of some neat stuff. So. We can have uh, we can have people take a selfie, and then we'll algorithmically match the picture, selfie picture to the picture on the document to see if it is the same person or it's someone in this this who just stole someone else's ID. I love it. We, the technology is there, and we are using selfies as a form of identification. It's it's so simple. Yeah, it it's actually you know kind of works. So it's good. Absolutely. So you you mostly work with banks and businesses, you said, correct? So a lot of financial institutions, uh, which includes you know, banks, money service businesses, cryptocurrency exchanges, or even companies conducting an ICO. We kind of run the full gamut. We also work with a few retailers helping them with just fraud prevention. Absolutely. So if I'm a retailer or a bank and I want your services, walk me through what that would imply. Yeah, no. So we're a software company. Um, so we help build software for financial institutions. And we offer almost like a menu where you get to pick and choose all the cool things that you want, including something called electronic DNA, which is kind of the secret sauce that the company is built around, um, which is a really interesting way of doing essentially a, a very large database on a lot of different people. Got it. So you can collect the data and then have it there so that you can look them up faster? Yes. Um, and I guess the, that's part of it. And part of it, how it works is whenever we see a transaction across any of our clients, we build a digital identity on the person doing the transaction. So say you, you know, send money to your friend using a, you know, any kind of app. And if uh, the app's never seen you before, they'll do a KYC or know your customer on you. You know, they'll check public records. They'll do a whole bunch of different things. When that happens, they also send data to us. If we've seen you before, um, we'll amend your existing kind of digital identity. And if we haven't, we'll create a new digital identity for you. Um, and then that is shared then across all of our client base. So essentially, we're a nice little co-op model where we can share digital identities for risk purposes. Mm-hmm. So if a, if a fraudster or someone who's trying to steal from you is hitting you in multiple different areas, you'll be able to see that trend quicker because of this. Exactly. So what we do is we give companies information they can't get otherwise. So if you know a bad person has come gone to one company and been rejected and they go to a different company we work with, we can tell the second company, oh, we've seen them before and recently and they were rejected you know, um, and give them that information so they can then decide if they want to work with that person. You know, in the case of a fraudster, they're obviously not going to, and we give them information, you know, in real time so they can be aware of it. Do you ever get false positives for people? People have similar names or similar locations? So name is a really interesting thing. We don't actually use it as a identifier because it's really horrible. Um, Yeah. So, you know, people change their names. Uh, In Latin America and the Middle East, people have, it's not just a first name and a surname. They may have, you know, the typical Latin American might pay at least, you know, two first names followed by two surnames. And depending on which order they're in um, or which ones are being used, it can completely change the person. Uh, So as a result, 
we don't look at names because, again, it is such a bad indicator. Um, you would think it would be the, the first thing you look at, but from a fraud or KYC perspective, it's actually the last because uh, it's just the false positive rate is so high. Yeah, I could imagine that. That's, that's very interesting. So, okay, so you guys, when a company comes to you, you have a menu of options and you can, the company can say, I'm interested in KYC compliance, I'm interested in MSB solutions, and they can just pick and choose what they need. Do you at all give them counseling on what they should be getting? Uh, we can help them kind of based on what we've seen before. So we work with a lot of different companies. So if you're, a, say, a cryptocurrency exchange and you come to us and you say, I need things, we might ask you, like, okay, so, for example, if you came to us for KYC or know your customer, we might ask, like, okay, what are you doing for transaction monitoring? Because we know that you need that as well. Um, cryptocurrency exchanges in the United States are regulated as money service businesses, just like a MoneyGram, for example. And as such, they need to have transaction monitoring. Uh, so we can educate them on what we've seen other people do and maybe what they need. Uh, we don't necessarily set their policies. We have lawyers so we can refer them to for help for that. But we, we've seen a lot of people in a lot of different spaces, so we kind of know the questions to ask. We kind of know what everyone should have, and we can help them suss that out if they don't quite know. Excellent, because I think as a company, when you see all these options, you want them all, but you might not necessarily need every single one of them. Exactly right. So tell me a little bit about your background and how you got involved with this company. I have been involved in this company for a little, almost four and a half years now, um, and it was not my plan. I was going to work at a very large consulting firm forever and ever, and then it didn't quite work out. Um, I had a background in anti-money laundering. Anti-money laundering is things like KYC, Know Your Customer, and Transaction Monitoring, and Identity Mind Global, where I am now, was building out their crypto offering. Um, we were working with a large financial institution in the Bay Area, to bank that wanted to bank Bitcoin firms, and they needed kind of software to help them with that. And so I was help, brought in to help guide that effort and kind of stand up our initial crypto practice. Um, that was over four and a half years ago, and it's it's ebbed and flowed. And right now it is uh, it is going very 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 strongly. So we're we're very excited, and it's. You know, there's a lot happening in the space. Um, there's new companies coming out every day. There's new regulation coming out. So it's uh, there's a lot going on. So it's very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Tell me a little bit about um, the ICOs that come to you and how you help them out. What are the benefits Perfect. of them so, coming to you? Yeah, so an ICO or is an initial coin offering. It's just a way of companies to raise money. Kind of like an IPO, but much easier, much simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, an IPO is obviously like a very large company, like a Dropbox just IPO'd. Um, an ICO could be five people in a room who don't actually have an actual product, just an idea. And it's a way to raise money from, you know, often uh, investors anywhere in the world without giving any equity. So it's a really, as a business, it's a great way to raise money. And so it's it's caught on very much. And so now it's people all over the world are doing these ICOs or initial coin offerings. Um, as a result, though, there's compliance regulations. So you need to make sure that, you know, if you're doing an ICO in the U.S., that you're checking against the U.S. sanctions lists. Um, you may need to validate that the investors are accredited, depending on what kind of ICO you're having. And we help with that kind of KYC. Uh, we also help a little bit with AML related to that and making sure that bad people aren't laundering money through your token sale. Um, how it typically works is you sell tokens, which are used on your platform, for uh, a cryptocurrency. And so you are able to raise a whole bunch of money really just for the cost of tokens, which only have value on your currency. So it's, uh, it's kind of like selling, it's like getting uh, Chuck E. Cheese coins and selling them for U.S. dollars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like a good deal for everybody. Yeah, it's uh, it's 
it's kind of like the new way of companies financing themselves. So uh, we've seen a huge growth in it uh, at this point in time. I think we've worked with over 75 companies to help them um, with the compliance part of their ICOs. Um, we've had to help them, you know, not just in the U.S., but companies all over the world from Asia to Europe and, you know, ensure that when they talk to their national regulators, they have a good story to tell and they're in compliance um, so their ICOs are shut down and they're not arrested and all that other good stuff. <laughs> We're keeping our clients out of jail, number one. Number one goal, always a good thing. <laughs> so if you're a bank and I'm assuming money laundering is, is something you really need to watch out for, what kind of things do Very you provide so. to help Yeah, to help with the anti-money laundering compliances? What do you, how do you provide that to banks? So what we do is we monitor uh, banks and money service businesses and other companies. Uh, we look at every transaction that's being done by their clients, and we help them uh, in a variety of different ways. One is setting rules just to make sure that people don't uh, people are detected they do anything suspicious over a certain dollar amount. Uh, in the U.S., you can do suspicious things, but if it's below a certain dollar amount, usually financial institution, institutions don't care. Um, but from, if it's over a certain dollar amount, they have to file something called a suspicious activity report, which means your bank has noticed something, you've done something weird, and they've actually told the government, which sounds really scary because you realize the U.S. government gets, oh man, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of these a year. So they don't look at all of them and the bank won't close your account down. Um, but it's a way for the bank to cover themselves by letting the government know that something suspicious has happened. They don't need to get rid of the customer. They have to tell the government just in case. And then the government uses that data if they are, say, working on a, you know, they're working on indicting someone or trying to arrest someone this information may be useful. So they look at that. They, in fact, have teams of people all over the U.S. whose whole job is, is to look at these suspicious activity reports, see if there's anything interesting, see if it can you know, impact any current cases, or they should start cases based on the data in the SARS. In this new world with the cryptocurrencies and all these different ways to acquire funds and access funds, have you seen money laundering and KYC fraud go up or down? Oh, good question. Uh, so always the wrap on things like um, cryptocurrencies that they're used for money laundering. Um, mm -hmm. I, but actually looking at the results, I don't see that uh, cryptocurrency is used for money laundering any more than any other method of payment. Um, it's a little bit easier in certain ways, but a little bit more difficult in others. So uh, it's easier in that if you are a hacker who has stolen someone's files and you're in the Ukraine, uh, Bitcoin or Monero or Dash is a great way for, you know, to get money from someone halfway around the world and not have it be have it be difficult to trace. That being said, you are ending up, you end up with a cryptocurrency halfway around the world and there's not a great way to spend it necessarily. So getting mm -hmm. it back into fiat is always the challenging part. Um, kind of no matter where you are, it's not the easiest yet. So if you have Bitcoin, you know, it's not the Stores don't accept it, and stores don't accept it for a variety of reasons. Uh, but you know, getting it actually into U.S. dollar is, or yen, or you know, euro is still challenging. I thought that myself when when you're hearing about cryptocurrency being used for illegal things, and thinking, I mean, is it easy? It's not easy to change it back into currency, tangible currency. Yeah, it. There's different ways to do it. So there's exchanges that buy and sell cryptocurrency. There's uh, we're starting to see, you know, Bitcoin ATMs. We've seen them for several years where you could, either, you know, walk up and buy Bitcoin with cash or sell your Bitcoin for cash. Um, and there's sites that connect buyers and sellers. There's no great way at scale in a lot of places in the world to sell Bitcoin for fiat currency. Mm -hmm. when, I'm, when I'm looking at those things like the Bitcoin ATMs and then online, 
if you're not working with cryptocurrency a lot, it is, feels like it's the Wild West of, of exchanges. Is there a way that's more secure than others for that? Like if you go to a Bitcoin ATM strictly, is that is that more secure than, say, trading on, on your cell phone? Um, so secure is a fun word. It's <laughs> the issue... Uh, with Bitcoin ATMs, you have to go find one. There has to be one in your neighborhood, and often the rates are very, very high. Um, exchanges offer typically the same services you get in an ATM, you know, ability to buy and sell, but you don't have to leave your house, which is nice. The problem with exchanges is they may not be available where you are, right? So, uh, you know, not all U.S. states have exchanges for because in the U.S., how money laundering or money, money transmitter law works is that you have to get a state license for each state. Uh, almost all, so almost 50 states, I think 48 or 49 require licenses and a federal license. Uh, and your state may not grant a exchange a license, in which case the exchange may not work there, and so it may be a challenge. Um, and that's in the U.S., not even considering the challenges of being, you know, in Latin America and trying to find uh, exchanges or ways to do this efficiently. It is still the Wild West. It is still very difficult, um, much more so than it needs to be. But it's also very hard because this is money, right? Uh, so regulatory institutions are very afraid of people losing money and they're at trying to act and protect people from that. Yeah, exactly. Understandable. So this company, you guys already do a lot. Where do you see it going in five years? Do you see it changing a lot, just getting more more? What would be a better word than secure? You said it's an interesting word. Yeah. Getting a... <laughs> yeah, no, so, so we spend a lot of time now doing these ICOs that didn't really exist a year ago. Um, no one had heard of an ICO really a year ago outside of, you know, some people who are in crypto. Now, mm -hmm. a lot of people have heard it. My real estate agent was talking about buying coins the other day. So <laughs> it is a big thing. Uh, and that, I don't, that will ebb and flow just like cryptocurrency exchanges, just like the price of Bitcoin. But that I don't think will go away. Where we see the kind of growth in the future is the idea of, we talked about the very beginning. So, once a bank has onboarded you or done the KYC, why is it that you have to go to a different bank they have to do the same KYC? Why couldn't they share that data? You know, the the dream is that everyone essentially owns their own digital identity and they can then bring it to different institutions as they see fit and share the data they want. That way you don't have to get, you know, sign up for each different, you know, finance company that you work with. They can see that you've been verified by one or by several and they can tell, okay, this is a good person. I want to work with them. Um, that's the dream. Um, you know, the dream is that going to new businesses is easy and that you, you know, they'll have the information. So, you you know, online shopping, you won't have to put your credit card in each time. Exactly. It's going to be like Google Autocomplete, but better. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> that would be nice. So it's going in that direction. It will take time, um, but it is definitely going there and everyone wants to take it there. It's just a challenge because even though you can solve the solution where I could build a digital identity for you now that you could take to banks and other companies, it's very hard for them to accept it. Uh, and that's going to be the thing that takes more time. And they don't accept it because they don't trust the information being given? They don't accept it because they can't. Um, mm -hmm. So for example, if you have a, a bank account at Wells Fargo and you decide to go to Bank of America, even if I, even if Bank of America could tell that you are at a, a bank account at Wells Fargo, their regulator won't accept that as a proper KYC or know your customer. So they have to do it all over again. Um, and it's just, it's, uh, so they are acting in their own best interest because their regulator won't allow them to do what they want to do. If their regulator said that you could accept Wells Fargo's KYC as your own, um, 
that would change things dramatically. Uh, but in the meantime, banks obviously cannot go against their regulator uh, for fear of getting in major trouble. So rather than kind of push the envelope, they have to slowly, slowly, slowly push. You'd actually typically see innovation not in large banks, but in financial service companies. And then it kind of trickles up to banks who see the cool stuff that's going on, ask the regulators to do it. The regulators see that it works and then kind of slowly start to accept it. Uh, an example here would be like AI and transaction monitoring. So artificial intelligence does really amazing things right now for fraud prevention, but banks aren't really allowed to use it for transaction monitoring because regulators haven't said it's okay. Um, mm. So they kind of do it off on the side, and they're, it has some really neat results, but they can't rely on it yet because the regulators have, have not told them that it's acceptable. In fact, they've told them the opposite. So in the meantime, some smaller fintech companies are using AI. They get really cool results, and kind of the world hears about it, and then eventually the big banks are allowed to do it as well. I mean, I don't think I've met anyone who hasn't been affected by some sort of fraud in their life, whether it's, you know, banking's been hacked or credit cards been hacked or stolen or identity theft or whatnot. With such a high level of fraud out there, you'd think people would really be embracing these AIs that are working. So how, how do the AIs work to prevent the fraud? Yeah, so every major credit card company, uh, as well as every most major retailers and most fraud prevention platforms like ours, has an AI component. Um, and how they do it may be differently, but what everyone's doing is uh, taking country, the term is big data, right? So looking at hundreds of thousands of millions of transactions and teasing out patterns and seeing, okay, so, you know, I'm seeing, say, an online order from Amazon and it's coming from this zip code and that zip code is 20% more likely to have fraud than a normal zip code. And looking at the email address and seeing, okay, so how many characters are in it, how many numbers, how many letters, seeing the, you know, the impl implications therein, looking at, you know, the name, does the name have numbers in it, et cetera, looking at all these different things uh, to help, you know, detect and prevent fraud, uh, fraud from happening. So it's all stuff isn't seen by consumers, but it's all happening now, uh, and it's only getting better and better. Awesome. I'd like to hear that because no one likes to have their money stolen from them from a phantom source, right? Where are these Right, no one likes from? that. <laughs> um, um, and what so we've seen is that is, uh, with pin and chip in the U.S., there's a lot, uh, I could say, there's less fraud now that's being done in store and more being done online. Um, and so as a result, then, there is more emphasis now being placed on preventing online fraud prevention um, just because that's where the fraud is going. And so... That's where everyone's following suit and really trying to stop it there. Because if you stop it there, you're in a really good situation. Um, and that's the, the dream, right? The dream is that even if someone has your information, they can tell that it's not you and they can flag a transaction ahead of time so it doesn't go through and they can prevent bad stuff from happening. Exactly. And we need companies like Identify Mind Global because, or Identity Mind Global, because as a consumer, you have your laptop, you have your desktop, you have your phone, you've got several different credit cards. It's it's almost too much for one person to keep up with it, plus your bank. There's there's just so many potential fraud areas. <laughs> yes, there's a huge amount of attack vectors, right? So many different mm -hmm. things, and there's so many different ways you can, you know, different things you can do to help, and how do you do it? It's a challenge, right? Uh, because you don't have one credit card, you probably have two or three, and you don't have one bank account, you probably have you know, two or three more when you start considering things like Starbucks cards, or like Starbucks accounts as bank accounts because they hold value or a Venmo account or other things, right? Um, so we're at the point now you really can't keep track, um, which is why companies have taken the lead and are 
trying to do it for consumers so they don't have to. Um, you know, I, have, I don't check my bank account every day, and I don't think most people do. Um, and that's all right because, you know, companies are really starting to get involved and do better there. Yeah, taking a little bit of the burden off of the, the consumer and onto the establishment. Exactly. Very cool. So if I'm a business or a bank and I want to get involved with your company, what is the best way to go about that? I would uh, email us. We have an email address, uh, evangelist at identitymind.com. Uh, or you can check out our website, uh, just, just identitymind.com, and you can see all the cool stuff we do and different case studies of people we've helped. Wonderful. Well, you know, Neil, this has been really eye-opening, and now I'm going to go check my bank account. <laughs> but thank you so awesome. much for coming on and sharing your time. And that is, is identitymindglobal.com. All right. Thank you so much, Neil. You have a good day. Thank you very much. Take care. And take care. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This has been Juliet Lamar with Future Tech Podcast. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000-plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.